passage today comes out of Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. John speaking. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Here ends the reading of God's word. Well, good morning. Thank you, Bill. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for the welcome. This is, for me, kind of a, a fun convergence of time with old friends and opportunity to meet friends I didn't know I had, um, but there will be time for that uh, af afterward at lunch because you'll need to talk to somebody you don't know, and here I am. Uh, so I wonder if you are familiar with something called an ant farm. Uh, these used to be around when I was a kid. They are still available if you look in the right place on the internet. Uh, an ant farm, if you're not familiar, it is made of two parallel sheets of clear plastic, about 10 by 12 inches, if you can visualize this, uh, mounted close together, maybe half an inch apart, and in between, it's filled with sand. And what you do is you, you catch some live ants. Or now you can order them online, and they will send you a vial of ants in the mail. And you release them into the ant farm, and you close the lid. 
and then off they go. They, they, they tunnel through the sand, and you can observe them through the plastic down in their little chambers and get a sense for ant behavior and what it's like inside a colony of ants. This is the kind of thing that I thought was pretty cool in 1978, uh, but that moms and dads were not generally excited about because I think there was an understandable anxiety that the ants would not stay in the ant farm, but uh, somehow would get out and find their way to the kitchen counters and the kitchen cabinets, and, and there settle in to raise their family for generations to come. Uh, so this was something that got put on Christmas wish lists, but I, I think often did not actually materialize under the tree. I want you to imagine that you are an ant in an ant farm. If I am that ant, I am, as ants tend to be, busy. I am busy working on my ant stuff, pursuing my ant agenda. And my little world between two parallel sheets of clear plastic, this is, to me, real. This is important. Within this narrow half-inch wide space is everything in the universe that I am worried about everything I aspire to, everything my heart is wrapped around. And as far as I know, this is all there is. If you are not an ant in an ant farm, as is the case for most of us, you may look at the ants with a sense of superiority. You might say, look, I understand this is important to you but I think you may be missing something. I know you are missing something. There is more to the universe than what you know. Revelation chapter 4 begins with the image of an open door and a voice extending an invitation, or maybe it's a command, come up here. Come up here and let me show you something. Come up here. Step out of your too small time and space bound, very limited perspective. Because today, today a door is open that is normally shut. Today there is an opportunity to see things that you normally cannot. Come up here, step through this door, and look at what I want to show you, and listen to what I want you to hear. The grace of God comes in different packages. Right? One way that grace can come packaged is the gift of a blessedly broadened perspective which is, in, in the short run, destructive, actually, of your ant farm agenda. But in the long run, is broadening of your humanity in, in, 
in exponential ways. And uh, remember, by the way, whose voice it is that summons us, right? So in the chapter, it just says, the, the one who had spoken to me before whose voice was like a trumpet. Um, but, well, you, you go back a few chapters, who is it? it? It's the voice of Jesus. This is not just the, the host at the restaurant who, who shows you to your table, right? Kind of right this way through this door. Um, no, it, it's the risen, exalted Jesus who, when John sees him in chapter 1, he says, I fell at his feet as though dead because th this was the only thing I could do. But in this chapter now, the glory of Jesus, glorious as it is, is not actually the focus. Now he is bringing us into the throne room of the Father he loves. The Lord Jesus says, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Right. But before he begins to show John what will happen later, that really begins in chapter 5, first he shows him what is real and true today. It's a gift of the ability to see and hear more of present reality than we are usually privy to. Now, I, I want to encourage you to use your imaginations to come up and go through the door with the Apostle John. Because, you know, there, there are different ways we could approach this. We could take it line by line, and I could do my best to try to explain to you everything in the vision and what it means. But, uh, friends, my fear is that an analytical approach to this chapter is not actually going to help you understand it. Uh, th there is a danger, I think, when you read the book of Revelation uh, of overanalyzing, uh, kind of moving into a sort of PowerPoint presentation mode, one slide at a time, Jasper, Carnelian, Rainbow, 24 elders, uh, seven lamps, living creatures. When what John is describing, actually, is not anything as orderly or, or readily dissected as that. What, what, what it is, is much more of a one-on-top-of-the-other sensory overload, a, a fire hose of color and stimulation that passes over him like a wave. What is it like to be on the receiving end of this sensory overload? It's, it's beauty! Astonishing beauty, color, a color like you've never seen, deep, lovely, reds. That's jasper and carnelian. Um, transparent, shiny, green, clear, crystal, vivid, vibrant, bright. Thunder and lightning, um, like the most intense summer thunderstorm you ever remember, right? Really loud and really bright. 
um, frightening, but, but also really cool. Uh, the, this, this thunder and lightning, do, do you know what it's like? It, it's, it's not like any thunder and lightning that you have ever seen before, but it is like the thunder and lightning at Mount Sinai when Moses went up the mountain to talk to the Lord God. Uh, these elders, well, we'll talk about them more later, but, but for now, just this, just this much, um, do not be put off by the elders. These, these, uh, these are noble, distinguished, wise, tall, regal, attractive human beings. And, and the living creatures, what, what can you say about them? Right? They, they are at once like animals you have seen before, right? kind of like a lion, kind of like an ox, kind of like a man, kind of like an eagle, um, and, yet, and yet also completely unlike them. Right? unlike anything you've ever seen before. So that the way John describes them is in the ballpark of the cherubim and seraphim that Isaiah and Ezekiel saw in their visions in the Old Testament. Um, they are over-the-top animals or something. Uh, and, and maybe in some way these four stand together for every creature God ever made, representative of the animals and the heavenly beings, the angels, and also of humanity itself, everything he made in all their diversity and beauty and wonder in a wave. And, and all of this, all of it arrayed around what is at the center of everything, the thing in the middle which is a throne. And it is not an empty throne. It is a throne with an occupant. And, and you can't even say out loud who it is exactly, except to say, he who sits on the throne. The, the, the one who is uniquely worthy, uniquely, appropriately seated in the midst of all the wonderful things that you've ever seen. There is a personal living one who is at the center of everything, around whom everyone and everything is arrayed. He sits at the middle of the circle, and to him they sing. They, they speak the perfections of God. They articulate them out loud. They, they make a list. They, they enumerate them. And all of it is put to music. And before it all, there's a sea of glass. Something like a sea of glass. So, so clear. Like no mirror or lake or tropical pool you've ever seen in your life. All in a wave. When the voice says to John, come up here, John, he enters into it all. He is there. It, it, it's not just seeing something on a movie screen. It was much more real than that. 
there before me. He walked into it. He saw, he heard, he is involved in the narrative of the things that are unfolding. In chapter 5 it says he wept. He, he is caught up into it all. What are we supposed to do with this? What, what are we supposed to take away from all of this? Um, and, and I would suggest that it is not primarily kind of a cognitive intellectual application that you can write down on a three-by-five card. Um, this, this is a matter not just of getting the answers right on the test, but a matter of, of lived experience of an understanding of the heart that is transformative of who you are in ways that are hard to articulate. Um, but if we were to try to articulate it, to come up with some words, what, what would they be? Um, well, how about awe, wonder, and what goes with that is, let me suggest, humility. And if I'm John, uh, what would I say about my experience afterward? Um, I, I'd probably say to start with, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. Which is sometimes exactly the right thing to say. And maybe after a while, on further reflection, I would say, I think I am realizing something. That there is more that is real and to be reckoned with than I know or understand. More than I can get my head around. I am coming to terms with the reality that I am small. I am finite. I am foolish. I hardly know my right hand from my left. And what you are compelled to do in that throne room is worship. There in that place, it is hard not to worship. It is the only sane thing to do, the only reasonable thing to do, because God is God, and I am just me. I'll just underline that with, with a few phrases from the songs they sing in the throne room. Um, first of all, this word holy, 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 right? It bears repeating as the living creatures do over and over. It means glorious, capital G. It means perfect, capital P. It, it, it means radically different from me on a another plane of existence altogether, they are saying, God, you are what I am not. And then this phrase that is repeated in, in verses 9 and 10, that God lives forever and ever. Um, and, and again, these are words spoken by human beings, these elders, and by the living creatures who almost by definition do not live forever. Um, they are creatures, and God is the creator. 
They, they all had a beginning, just as each of us had a beginning, right? There was a time before you were born, before you were conceived, when you were not. When the world existed without you. And it generally did okay. And unless God extends your life, there will be a time when you again will not be. I need to know to live wisely, you need to know to live wisely, that we are like the grass that withers, right? Like the flowers that fade. You and I are only a breath. And, and, and so we worship the one who is not like that. The one who lives forever, the one from whom all life came, the one who sustains all life. That is sanity talking. Wisdom, perspective. It is good to remember these things on a Sunday morning, if not more often. So this morning, for a few minutes, you've been hearing a little bit about John's vision of the throne room. Interesting. Interesting. And then in another 30 minutes or so, maybe a little longer if you linger at the picnic, you go back to your responsibilities. You go back to your families, your jobs, your to-do lists. You go back to your hopes and ambitions, your sadnesses and disappointments, the things that you are trying to make happen, um, both this afternoon and in your life. Back to the world you can see, the world you sort of understand, and, and you'll do your best to navigate it as best you know how. But the pressing question is, does that throne room in heaven have any living connection with the world that you and I inhabit on a daily basis? Are there things on, a, on an ordinary Wednesday, right, that are real that you cannot see? Is it possible that some things that you cannot see are, in a sense, more real, more lasting, more important than the things you can see? Um, is there something, is there someone that exists at the center of all things all the time in the middle of reality that you need to understand in order to live your life well in the here and now. What if the something at the center of everything is a throne? How do I make an awareness of that throne and the one who sits on it part of my daily life? So, my wife Susan and I were actually in a throne room recently. This is often not the case, but we were in Sevilla, Spain, in the Alcazar, which is a medieval palace where the kings of Spain were in residence. 
right? It is beautiful. And if you are touring the Alcazar, you go from one stunning room to the other. It's ornate, it's, 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 it's exquisitely crafted. The light comes in in beautiful ways. Until at last, you get to the throne room. And the throne room makes all these other amazing rooms seem kind of underdone and inadequate. I wouldn't think that I would be a guy who would go in for palaces, but it is beautiful. It's a real palace with a real throne room. But here's the thing. I cannot relate, actually. It's not my world. And it didn't help when we learned that portions of the Game of Thrones were filmed at the Alcazar. Uh, we went to YouTube and we watched a collection of excerpts that were shot in this place where we went three weeks ago. It was weird. Um, seeing the Alcazar on, games of, on Game of Thrones made it seem more like make-believe, uh, more like long ago and far away, and, and less important and relevant for me now. There are other things that seem more real. Things like the bills that need to be paid and the lawn that needs mowing. Um, things like viruses and school shootings. Um, things like cars and errands and what's for dinner. Um, that's my ant farm. It, it, it was fun to go see the Alcazar but it doesn't have much to do with me today. I need help making a living connection between my life on an ordinary day and that heavenly throne room. Because I think what it comes down to is I do not readily recognize myself in Revelation 4 among the living creatures and everybody. But what if I were able to point you out in Revelation 4. What if you are actually there? Um, what, what if it is your place? Let me tell you about the 24 elders. Who are they? And what are they doing in the throne room? It seems that in the economy of this sensory fire hose in the book of Revelation, that the 24 represent the completeness of God's people throughout time. So all of those men and women who have a relationship with the living God, it's the combined total of the Old Testament faithful, the 12 tribes of Israel, and the New Testament church, the 12 apostles. And all of us, any of us, whoever we are who believe in Jesus are included in that group and are, are present in a way with dignity like we belong in the throne room. Um, those 24 elders, they are present there. They, they are alive and engaged and attentive. They are not kind of fiddling on their phones in the throne room, right? 
they are 100% there, oriented toward the one who sits on the throne. Um, what else? Uh, they wear white robes, meaning they have been washed. They have been cleansed. And their shame, whatever shame they ever had, whatever nakedness they've ever had, has been covered. So guilt and shame are not a problem. They are free of those burdens, which is part of what enables them to be so present and attentive, and that causes their hearts to be so full of worship. Um, what else? They wear crowns, and they sit on thrones. They, they are royal. Not as royal as the one who sits on the big throne, but nevertheless, royal, regal, full of dignity. They sit up straight. They carry themselves with confidence. They belong. They are not ashamed. Even the four living creatures, amazing as they are, do not wear crowns. And they do not sit on thrones. But the elders, they are human. They were made in God's image, and they are like him. They were made to rule alongside him in the same room. They were made to have authority in God's world, to exercise a healing, wholesome presence and influence in God's creation. All of that has been hopelessly tarnished in the millennia of human history, but not hopelessly, right? Because in Christ, it is restored. The image of God in you gets a polish, and men and women like you and me begin to be and to act royal again. You are in the throne room if you have trusted Jesus, that is you. You belong there. There's a chair for you. It's your place. And, and friends, this is, the, this is the great balancing act of life now for us. We live in two places. Right? We actually live in the throne room. And we also actually live with our feet on the ground in the present here and now. And let me tell you something. Um, this has been coming alive in my life in, in, in the last few years. It, it is as you begin to take to heart that you have been washed, right? No guilt, no shame. A, a, as you know, that you have had your humanity restored and your royalty reaffirmed that you can begin to live in this world with a lot of freedom, uh, mindful of the reality of heaven in a way that is confident, gracious, kind, full of courage. Why? Because you are a well-loved child of the one who sits on the throne. Uh, when I was a, a boy, I lacked confidence you could say. Every day, every single day, 
when I left for school, my mother would say, I'm not lying, look people in the eye when you talk to them. She told me this over and over. Why? Because I didn't, right? I spoke quietly with my eyes on my sneakers. But friends, the Lord is making things new. The, the newness is complete there in the throne room, but it is also real and able to be lived out, worked out here. The throne room helps you to do life in the here and now because the, the things that are realized there are actually being realized here. Um, it, it's not actually that you live on an ant farm. That, that's really more pejorative than I mean to say. It, it's not that the details of your life are unimportant or less than real. But the meaning and significance of these things derives from their relationship to the center of everything. If you get the center wrong, you get everything wrong. But if you get the center right, then, then who you are begins to be worked out from there outward. In fact, the, the vision of Revelation 4 gives everything more dignity. Everything you do is elevated. Your care for uh, an elderly parent, maybe. Uh, the time you take to get to know your neighbor. The, the, the care that you take in doing your job well from 8.30 to 6 every day. The time you invest in a child. I am not here to tell you the, that the details of your life don't matter. It all matters. It matters more than you know. It's beginning to be filled with the glory of the Lord. Ask the Lord to deliver to your heart by his spirit the vision of the throne room in heaven. Um, we're going to sing a song that will be helpful to you in that. These things are true, and, and taking them to heart will allow you to live with growing freedom, growing confidence, growing joy. Amen. Let's pray. Um, Father, our, our hearts are dim, our eyes are dim. There are, there are so many things that we understand so imperfectly. Um, Lord, we want to have our eyes more open and to live more in the reality of the things that are true because of, of what Jesus has done. Um, so, Father, I pray, um, well, Lord, I pray for anyone to whom these things are new who feels disconnected from that reality. We pray that your Spirit would, would make these things begin to line up in their hearts and minds. Um, and Lord, for all of us, we pray for the freedom, the courage to believe these things and to live with, with dignity and joy. In Jesus' name.